Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for That You May Know the Lord, a study of the book of Ezekiel. I will be going over uh, Unit 1, Lessons 1 and 2, and I'm starting on page 10. So let's get into the Word of the Lord. I've highlighted that title of the lesson. I've written a little note at the top. Let's get into the Word of the Lord. Leaders. Um, it's helpful for you as you are leading the lesson, especially as uh, we're beginning this Bible study, and for ladies to learn how we do this and follow along in the workbook, help them know what page you're on, you know, tell them we're in lesson one, let's get into the word of the Lord, um, and I encourage you to, um, I will tell you some things that I've highlighted, and these are intro statements, um, transitory comments. So I've highlighted them with a green highlighter in my workbook. I also have used a green ballpoint pen to write some extra notes here and there. So I used green because I haven't used that to um, do my homework lesson. So the green stands out. So that's just what I always tell people to do. Also, when you are asking the question in the workbook, I encourage you to read the question as it is written in the workbook, pretty much, so that as ladies are looking for, where are you? Because they might have been thinking about something else or writing something down, and then where are you? And if you will read the question as it's written, then they will see what you're saying. They'll see where you are. Every now and then I will tweak the wording of a question because of how we are asking it or what we've done. But um, rather than you rewording the question to make it sound more like your words, it's just going to help them find it on the page if you read it the way I did it. Now, once you read it, if there is uh, quiet in the room and nobody seems to want to answer it, you may want to rephrase it. Ask it some more. Put it in your own words. You're free to do that. But you're not going to have to do that um, with the first page here. So, now, that was my preliminary um, suggestion to you, leaders. And now, I would recommend that you highlight the third italicized paragraph. And that's going to be our intro to get going. All you will need to take on this journey this time travel journey, is a desire for truth and an attitude that's ready to respond to that truth. We will read, study, examine, and ponder the words of the Lord as spoken to Ezekiel, his priest-turned-prophet. So we're going back to 593 B.C. And they were to read Ezekiel 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. So the questions that we're going to answer right now are based on those three verses. Question number one. And there are two questions, so ask, ask them one at a time. How do we know that Ezekiel is the author of this book? Ask the question, pause. How do we know that Ezekiel is the author of this book? Verse 1 is written in first person. He says, I was among the captives. So if ladies are like, 
if nobody jumps in and answers that and there seems to be an awkward silence and people just look like they don't know, then go ahead and answer it. Don't let that hang you up. What do you learn about Ezekiel in those verses, verses 1, 2, and 3? So I... Um, I made my notes and I numbered them. So I have seven little details about Ezekiel. You did not have to do it that way. But I have that Ezekiel was 30 years old. And that's what the 30th year was about. And if they did not catch that, that's okay. That's why we're talking about it. And we're letting them know that. Um, he was with the captives at the Kibar River. The River Kibar, the Kibar Canal. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, number three, he saw visions of God. Number four, just now, um, based on verse two, he was part of the group that was taken captive with King Jehoiachin. And I realize that may not have been um, a blatant statement that ladies would take a note of. But Ezekiel is recording his time the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. So he is recording his times based on the captivity of that king, which is one of the indications that we have that Ezekiel was taken captive with him and that group of people. Um, number five, he's a priest. And number six in my notes, he's the son of Buzi, Buzzy, Buzi. <laughs> however you want to say it, and Bootsy, that Z might be a T-S sound, Bootsy, um, Buzzy is fine. Number seven, the hand of the Lord was upon him. So that's how I did mine. You did not have to do yours that way. One other thing, because he was a priest, the son of Bootsy, the priest, um, he was a Levite because at this point in time, the Israelites had still been following the Lord's command that only Levites were the priests. So he was of the tribe of Levi. We know that. All right. The, um, so the next question, and I've highlighted this question, like just the first part in green. Where is Ezekiel when we first meet him? Have more than one lady share what they learned. Some liked this and some didn't like this exercise. Um, so um, from the Easton Bible Dictionary, it says, there is an opinion that has much support that it was the, that the uh, River Kabar, the Kabar Canal, was a royal canal of Nebuchadnezzar and that it connected the Tigris and Euphrates River. I did not know that until I did the study this time. And if you're looking at a map and you see the Tigris and Euphrates River, there is a point uh, in the south area of um the Babylonian area near the Persian Gulf and they come close together. So if the Kabar River, Kabar Canal was a canal connecting like the Panama Canal or the Suez Canal, if it connected the Tigris and Euphrates River, then it makes sense at, at where at their closest point they were connected. And that is where ancient Babylon existed. Um, I have read somewhere along the way, and this also from the Eastern Bible Dictionary and some other dictionaries, that the Jewish captives may have been part of the workforce used to dig that canal, to do this work, to, to excavate the, and make the channel between the Tigris and Euphrates River. 
And one other thing that I was just thinking was if this was a canal and if it was a royal canal, meaning that it was near Babylon, near the capital, near Nebuchadnezzar's palace, um, then they would have been seeing the pomp and splendor of Babylon at the time, the pomp and splendor of Nebuchadnezzar. And that would have been disheartening to say the least, because they had been in Israel and seen Jerusalem, and that was that is God's royal city, and now they're at this other place. Um, so, um, one other note about this, as I just, I actually did get bogged down myself investigating the Kabar River. I could not find it um, easily on maps, and I did not, I looked on Google Maps, I didn't find it, but one thing led to another, and I found at uh, a shoot off of the Tigris River, something called the Glory River. And you can see that on Google Maps today, the Glory River. And it is clearly a a man-made canal. And uh, I'm not sure if it was Wikipedia or who, but it was built by Saddam Hussein. But the Glory River, so fascinating that there is something today that would um, echo what Ezekiel experienced. He saw the glory of God by the Kabar River. So is the modern day glory river where the Kabar Canal was? Sounds like it could be. Don't know, but that's just some, uh, something interesting that I discovered this go-round. One more thing. There is a river in the northern area of Assyria and north of the Babylonian, the ancient Babylonian area. It's called Habor, H-A-B-O-R. And some of your notes may have told you it, that the Kabar, the Kabar River could be the Habor River. But it's so far north that it was not considered part of the Babylonian, the Chaldean area. So uh, that just... Um, was a note that ruled out that particular river. You don't need to spend a lot of time on it. Some people like geography, just some little interesting things. Um, and now we're moving right along. So what impression does all this give you of Ezekiel's situation? What we learned from the first question of verses 1, 2, 3, and then what we learned about the river what impression does this give you of Ezekiel's situation? So we're looking for more than one lady to share, and this is a discussion question. Let's think about it. What was Ezekiel going through? These are just our reflections, observations, impressions. I suppose that someone could give a wrong answer if they really went off the wrong track, um, but pretty much I don't think you can get a wrong answer here. Here are some thoughts I had. Ezekiel was totally aware of the length of time passing because he noted what it, it was in his life, his 30th year, and he noted what year of exile it was, fifth year. So he's counting time. It was not easy being away from Israel. I also noted that he lived in community with others. That's good. Um, I noted he was a priest with no temple at which to serve. That was uh, heartbreaking. And for a man who up to his 25th year, which is how old he would have been when he was taken into exile, if he'd been preparing to serve at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, wow, 
and and the rest of the book and things that Ezekiel tells us show us that he knew about the holiness of the Lord and what was right before the Lord. So he he had been preparing rightly with his whole heart to serve the Lord, and now he can't. Um, it's just that is the, for for a man who knows what his work is to lose his work that he knows and loves. It's, um, just it's it's horrible. Um, perhaps Ezekiel was among the captives doing hard labor if they did have to dig out the canal. Um, so I think those are my comments, and I would love to hear what other ladies had to say. Uh, they may have had more emotional things. This is I I just think about these five years of Ezekiel being a young man, and he's trapped in captivity, away from where he wanted to be. Was he depressed? Um, well, let's go to page to the top of page 11. And now we're going to talk about dates and understand a little bit more about this 30th year. Leaders, for the sake of time, I think you should just state the question and the answer. Especially because some ladies might have gotten confused with this question. So you just say, according to verse 1, you were to find out when Ezekiel heard from the Lord. It was in the 30th year, the 4th month, and the 5th day. That's when Ezekiel heard from the Lord. It also does say, and they may have written this in you too, and you can say this. It, verse 1 also says that it was the, oh no, sorry, it was verse 2. So if we're only looking at verse 1, <laughs> it's the 30th year, 4th month, 5th day. All right, what about that? Read this whole thing about numbers. Numbers 4, 1 through 3, sheds light on the significance and the most likely meaning of the 30th year, mentioned in verse 1. What happened at that point in time, and what does that mean about Ezekiel? So what was being described in Numbers? What happened at the 30th year? And what does that mean about Ezekiel? What happened back in Numbers was that, and you can open this up and just wait for someone to answer it. Moses took a census of all of the Kohathites who were Levites. And these were, he was taking a census of men who were 30 years to 50 years old. The ones who could do the work at the tabernacle. The tent of meeting is the tabernacle. And so, what does this mean? It, uh, priests served from the time that they were 30 years old to 50 years old. This may not become clear for some ladies in the group until we're talking about it. Unless they um, looked at commentaries, which they may have done. So, what does all this mean about Ezekiel? He had just turned the age of 30 to serve at a, as a priest, but he could not serve as a priest because he was in Babylon. So, uh, in the 30th year, you might have written it like this. On my 30th birthday, when I was about supposed to become a priest at the temple in Jerusalem, I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal. That's how the ESV puts it. Okay, so now, in my italics, I've said, that should explain the first set of dates mentioned. We're going to set that aside now, unless there's any confusion or any more discussion about it, which 
is fine to have a little more talk about that if you want. The 30th year, we've, we've hopefully come to understand this was Ezekiel's age and when he would have, should have, could have become priest in Jerusalem. But there are many more dates in the book of Ezekiel, starting in verse 2. And they are like, wait a minute, 30th year, 5th year, what's going on? Um, so we're going to study the attacks on Israel by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. There were three times when he attacked and took Israelites captive. What I want you to do to discuss this chart is to have one person per attack, one lady, go across the row in the chart. So, someone please tell us who was king, what the year was, and who was taken captive or were they killed in the first attack. One woman, please share that, please. Please, please. The king was King Jehoiakim. It was the third year of King Jehoiakim. And the um, there were captives taken. Children of Israel, so people of Israel, and the king's descendants, Jehoiakim's descendants were taken. Nobles, young men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are all named. So we know the names of four of them. This does not say that the king was taken captive, as his descendants were. That was the first attack. Oh, Tell us about the second attack, please. The king of Judah was Jehoiachin. He was 18 years old. It was the third month of King Jehoiachin's reign, and it was the eighth year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. King, who was taken captive? And was anyone killed? Doesn't we don't we are not told that anyone was killed. So this time, the king was taken captive, King Jehoiachin at 18, and his mother, his family, officers under his reign were taken. And then if you see verses 14 and 15 of Second Kings 24, it says all Jerusalem was taken. Captains, mighty men, 10,000 captives. Um, it also names... The fact that 7,000 craftsmen were taken and 1,000 smiths. So 10,000 might have been a summary statement, and they're saying 7,000 craftsmen, 1,000 smiths, and then 2,000 other people between everybody else that was taken. I don't know if that's how it works. I don't know if it's 10,000 plus 7,000 plus 1,000. Um, that doesn't really matter. FYI, you can go ahead and mention this now, that based on all the information in the book of Ezekiel and the dates that he gives... Ezekiel was taken captive during this second attack. So he just would have been um, part of the all Jerusalem taken then. And then tell us about the third attack. The king of Judah was Mataniah, who had been renamed Zedekiah, and he was a puppet of Nebuchadnezzar. And this uh, year of attack was the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign. And... The attack was a besieging until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign. 11th year, 9th day, 4th month is Tishabav. I don't remember if that was in the um, scripture passage, but I mentioned it in my timeline. 
so we know when that final attack was completed. So in this third attack, I'm, I've, I've consolidated the, the two-year siege and the final destruction. It's all in that third row. So taken captive or killed. King Zedekiah was captured and taken down to Ribla. I don't know where that is. It doesn't really matter. His sons were killed. So now the, there is no line to continue from King Zedekiah. But the line of David is going to continue from King Jehoiachin. Um, Zedekiah's eyes were gouged out. So the last thing he saw was that his sons were killed. And then Zedekiah was taken to Babylon. And in um, 2 Kings 25, 11, it tells us that the remaining Jerusalemites, citizens of Jerusalem, uh, and anyone who had tried to defect from Bab the Babylonian captivity, they, they captured everybody. And they took them captive to Babylon. The poorest of the land were left in Jerusalem. Jeremiah was also left. He was... Well, he was probably pretty pretty poor then, but he did receive stress, special treatment from um, army captain on behalf of Nebuchadnezzar. That's pretty fascinating, but that's Jeremiah. So back to Ezekiel. That is an overview of these three attacks, and what we're going to base our dates on would be um, the second attack when Jehoiachin was taken captive. And all those other dates are based on other kings. So now we're turning to the big chart on page 13 and how Ezekiel kept his records based on the number of years of captivity that he had been in with King Jehoiachin. Um, here's how I want you to handle this chart. You don't, it's a lot of numbers, <laughs> and I don't want it to get tedious and just feel like we're taking too long with it. So you can handle this quickly. I do think that it is best, just so ladies will know, they've got the right thing. And, and this is a rehearsing, and for those who didn't get it, they may need to be fixing their books. So um, if you can, go around the circle, and if you, if, if ladies feel like they just aren't sure they've got the right answer, just have, say, you know, it's okay to pass. Go across the row and state the answers. And to the group as a whole, if they have questions or comments or thoughts as things are coming up, then feel free to share them. We don't want to get bogged down in this, but this is an overview and there are some things. And, and they have worked through it, hopefully, and they've answered the question on the next page, which we'll come to, but there may be some comments that trickle out as you go through the chart. So, you, why don't you leaders set the example and get them going, especially because this very first one might have been the hardest one for them. <laughs> could have been the easiest, could have been the hardest, I don't know. So go across. In um, Ezekiel 1, verses 1 and 2, it was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. And you saw that in verse 2. It was the fourth month, the fifth day, and the location and topic was that Ezekiel was at the Kabar River and he saw visions of God. Ezekiel 8, 1. It was the sixth year of their captivity, Ezekiel's and Jehoiachin's captivity. 
the sixth month, fifth day, Ezekiel was in his house and elders of Judah came to him and the hand of God fell on him. Next, Ezekiel 20, verse 1, it was the seventh year of his captivity, fifth month, tenth day, elders came to Ezekiel to inquire of the Lord. Ezekiel 24, verses 1 and 2, it was the ninth year, the tenth month, the tenth day, the word of the Lord came. The king of Babylon started siege against Jerusalem. Ezekiel 26, 1 and 2, the eleventh year, we don't know the month, it was the first day. The word of the Lord came against Tyre. Ezekiel 29, 1 and 2, it was the tenth year of captivity, the tenth month and the twelfth day of the month, the word of the Lord against Pharaoh of Egypt. Ezekiel 29, this came on the 27th year of captivity. The first month, uh, yeah, the first day, the word of the Lord came. And in the next um, couple of verses that you didn't have to look at were verses 18 and 19. It said, God will give Egypt as a spoil to Nebuchadnezzar. And the reason it's there seemingly out of order is because it is put um, Ezekiel edited his notebook <laughs> and, or someone for Ezekiel did and put this word against Egypt with the big chunk of prophecies against Egypt. So he put it all together. In Ezekiel 30 verse 20, it's the 11th year of captivity, the first day, first month, seventh day, the word of the Lord came and this is against Pharaoh of Egypt. Ezekiel 31, 1, 11th year of captivity, third month, first day, the word of the Lord came. This is also just based on verse 2, against Pharaoh. Ezekiel 32, verses 1 and 2. This is the 12th month, the, I'm sorry, the 12th year of captivity, the 12th month, and the first day of the month. The word of the Lord came, and this is a lamentation for Pharaoh of Egypt. So what you can see here, if you just look at the 12th year and look back at, oh no, don't do it. Well, we can't do this yet. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Hold on. Ezekiel 32, 17. It's the 12th year of captivity. Don't know the month. It might've been the same 12th month because it came on the 15th of the day. So that would make sense. The word of the Lord came well over Egypt and so that makes sense if it was the 12th month. Ezekiel 33, 21. It's the 12th year of our captivity. Ezekiel actually used that word, our, at this time. 10th month, 5th day. I'm double checking in um, to see if the ESV says our. Looking at different translations. I just find that very personal and 12 years it's been a long time and this is a big deal and what's going to be said to him is a big deal um sorry I haven't in the 12th year of our exile in the 10th month on the fifth day a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said the city has been struck down a fugitive a messenger who escaped Fugitive makes it sound like he's a bad guy, but he was not. Um, so Jerusalem has been captured. Now it's going to talk about the um, come the 12th, what happened after the 12th. 
in the twelfth year of our captivity. So in Ezekiel 33:21, it's the twelfth year of our captivity in the tenth month. Ezekiel learns Jerusalem has been captured. In the two rows above, you see Ezekiel chapter 32 in the twelfth month, two times in the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, the word of the Lord came against Egypt. So the timing of receiving the word of the Lord here is out of order if you're just talking about chapters in Ezekiel. But the message and the way that Ezekiel was structured is why it appears out of order on our chart. But the point I'm trying to make is that Ezekiel got the message that Jerusalem was captured and then he very shortly afterward got the message that Egypt was going down and would be judged. I talked about that in my opening lecture, so I will not go over that anymore. Now, the last one on the chart is Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, in the 25th year of captivity. And he notes it was the 14th year after the city of Jerusalem had been captured. At the beginning of the year, 10th day of the month, the hand of the Lord was on Ezekiel, and he was taken in a vision to the land of Israel. So that is an overview of all of the specific times that he um, recorded, that he received the word of the Lord. Just one more comment that if you look back at the ninth year of captivity and what happened then, the king of Babylon started his siege, and then in the 10th, 11th, and 12th years of captivity. That's roughly two, two years. Ezekiel's receiving words against Tyre and Egypt. And there are other messages against other nations that are uh, going to fit into that time period. While while Israel is being besieged, the Lord is saying he's going to judge Egypt. And then, once the city's taken captive, he is given that information. And then it's so long. I mean, 14 years from the time that he hears anything else from the Lord. So that leads us to the next page, page 14. What do you notice about the Lord's timing of communicating with Ezekiel? Love to hear ladies talk about this. This is a discussion question. If you've already really been answering this question, then don't spend a lot of time on it. But just, you know, is there anything that we didn't say yet that you want to share? Here's what I had to say. Ezekiel would have been a priest at age 30. He was given 20 years of prophetic ministry. And um, so he was probably, he was about 50 years old when he got his last message, word of the Lord. I also thought that when you look at this, the Lord's word comes kind of randomly from our perspective. And Ezekiel did not know when to expect it. So that question may, ladies may begin to merge into talking about the next question. Does this have any impact on your understanding of the Lord's timing in speaking to you? Talk about it. What do they think? 
and my thoughts and this just was really good to be reminded of these things. God knows best. His timing is perfect from his perspective and I should always be ready and be listening. And when we step back and we take a look at the dates and what was happening and and get the, the bird's eye view and can see from God's perspective why he spoke to Ezekiel when he did and what he said, then um, it helps us trust and wait and know his timing is best. Skip the next two um, italicized paragraphs. I've highlighted the last um, sentence. In the darkest period of Ezekiel's life, the Lord was going to come to him in all of his glory. So we ended this lesson pausing and considering what are our circumstances today? What are your circumstances right now? Do you long to see the Lord? And you were to close the study with a prayer expressing your desire for the Lord. So how did you respond here? How did you respond to the Lord? How did you respond to this first lesson? Ladies don't have to share their prayer. They can if they want to. But let's just talk about your response to 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 what we've seen today with the circumstances and the timing of the Lord speaking and your desire to see him. If you need some kind of concluding statement, I like what Lutzer said, blessed are those who see the hand of God in the haphazard, inexplicable, inexplicable, and seemingly senseless circumstances of life. Because you can hear some of the words that I say, they get a little muddled and I'm repeating myself. If you have time to read some of the things out loud, it might help your mouth practice (laughs) before you get in class with ladies. Now, lesson two, the vision of the Lord. Go to the top of page 15. Ladies were to slowly read Ezekiel chapter 1. And I hope that they just stopped and did that. What came to pass in verse 1? Wait for the answer. The heavens were opened and Ezekiel saw visions of God. What phrases in verse 3 indicate that Ezekiel experienced something outside of his ordinary routine? Well, it says the word of the Lord. So that's always a big deal. That is a key phrase. (laughs) And it says the word of the Lord came expressly or um, came directly. The New King James, King James, and the NAS and the CSB all have that that little adjective in there. The word of the Lord came expressly, but the ESV doesn't have it. And... It is there. Um, I'm sorry, this specific word is not there. Like the word, you're not going to find the word expressly in Hebrew. But there is a construction of the sentence, which is making it emphatic that this is a big deal. And so it happened. It happened that the word of the Lord, there's, there's something repeated there that doesn't translate into our English language well. But there is an emphasis. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and the hand of the Lord was upon him. Skip down to the italicized sentence. Please remember that you can always hear the word of the Lord when you open your Bible. 
the Lord is there. When you need to hear from him, open your Bible. Okay, leaders, I encourage you to set the example of how we're going to go through this this, um, sharing of what Ezekiel saw. So, we're going to use terms from Scripture in order of their appearance, and we're going to describe what Ezekiel saw in verses 4 through 25. Just um, as we're kind of starting to get into sharing this, I mean, there's so much to share. Um, It really would be better if ladies don't end up just like, reading the verse from the Bible, because that's, okay, scripture here is going to sound kind of clunky, and I want this, the details to be pulled out of the scriptures, so I've said use terms from scripture, they could use phrases from scripture, but I'd rather not have ladies just read the verses, so if someone says, I'll just read the verse, or let me just read, you know, this passage of scripture say, well, we really want to pull the details out. So sometimes I just can remember sometimes ladies say, I'll just read the, the, ver- the verse. Um, but there are, this is a big passage. So did they note the verse numbers or did they make a list? They didn't have to do it that way, but they might have. And if they did, that might help them as they're sharing. But you're going to set the example. So... Um, just just share a couple of things from the beginning. Like here are the first. Here's what I saw from the first verse. A whirlwind came from the north. It was it was a great cloud. It was fire and brightness, and there was something like the color of amber coming from the midst of it. Now let's hear how the rest of you noted what you saw, and I'm going to be giving you the verses that it came from as I've noted it here. From verse five. He saw the likeness of four living creatures. They had the likeness of a man, of a human. Verse 6, each had four faces, each had four wings. From verse 7, their feet were straight. And feet probably means legs, FYI. And their feet were straight, and they had something like, like a calf's foot. And it sparkled like burnished bronze. Okay, the calf's foot is really strange to me, and I've actually looked up pictures of it, and I don't know if a calf, I mean, from a picture, I think a a newborn calf comes out, and the hoof foot is soft, and then it's got to get that hard um, part. But once you see a calf roaming around in the field, it's got its its, um, hooves, and is it cloven or not? Um, So... (laughs) It's just, it's a detail that is a curiosity to me, and it's not that big a deal. Um, but they were clean. Like, I'm sorry, to be sparkling like burnished bronze makes me think that it is polished, clean, shiny. And that's always a pretty thing when something is clean and shiny. Okay, verse 8. Um, and, <laughs> sorry. Verse 8. It had the, the living creatures had the hands of a man under their wings. Verse 9, their wings were joined and there was no turning. They just went straight. So whichever direction they wanted to go, they went straight in that direction. Uh, this is beyond our comprehension. I, I just I can't. What if it wanted to go southeast? How did it do that? Verse 10. 
the likenesses of the faces, all four, like each of the living creatures had four faces. They had a face of a man, a face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle. The uh, lion is the king of the wild animals. The ox is the king of domestic animals. The eagle is the king of birds. And the man is the most exalted of all of God's creatures. And these were all having likenesses of these faces. So we, we say that, you know, he had the face of a man, well, that looked like a man. And the face of a lion looked, that looked like of a lion. Verse 13, the appearance was like burning coals of fire. The appearance of lamps. Verse 13, um, ESV says like the appearance of torches moving to and fro. And it went up and down among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and I've got lightning here, bright like lightning. Um, verse 14, the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. So I was thinking about the fire and the light and like lightning and flashes of lightning. And, you know, Ezekiel would have seen lightning. He knew what lightning in the sky was. He didn't say he saw lightning. He said it was like a flash of lightning, and you know that's really fast, and a flash of lightning is so bright, it just lights up everything, and especially it's fascinating in the dark of night of how bright things can get when it's lightning. So he didn't see lightning, but it was like the brightness and like the, the speed of lightning. These are some things that I was just thinking about afresh as I um, was reading through this section of scripture. Um, okay, verse 15 and 16. Now we're going to talk about the wheels. There was the appearance of wheels like the color of beryl, B-E-R-Y-L. Um, I have one thing that says this is golden, uh, topaz quartz, uh, yellowish green maybe. He saw a wheel within a wheel, and they were not turning. Um, this no turning. I know that's a good thing. It's still just beyond my comprehension, but it's a fact. Verse 18, there were rings around the wheels or rims. And uh, yeah, ESV says rims. They were high, like huge large. The King James Version says they were dreadful and not like yuck, dreadful, horrible, but awe-inspiring. Full of eyes. You know, how do you even imagine what that looks like? It doesn't, it doesn't sound pretty, but in God's majesty and splendor, and it's, um, I trust that it's a wonderful thing. Verses 19 and 20. The wheels went with the living creatures. The spirit of the living creatures were in the wheels. And then verse 22. There was a likeness of a firmament over their heads. The color of terrible crystal. This was awe-inspiring. It was shining, glittering, sparkling like ice. I think I've given you what uh, some different translations have used there. 
um, the firmament. It's, that really uh, is a very interesting. Oh, um, see if I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I should tell you about this firmament right now for a second. The firmament is that word. Does that ring a bell from Genesis one, or perhaps your version says expanse? This is the same term that is used in Genesis 1, 6 through 8, where it got, says God separated the waters above from the waters below. There was a firmament, uh, an expanse between them. One um, Bible translation called this in Ezekiel a dome, and that doesn't really work for me. I mean, it could be a dome, but it's that just the curvature of a dome kind of doesn't help me imagine what this was like. So, um, the expanse between heaven and earth. Think of it now. The expanse. It's, it's big. There's a lot of air and space. So, um, picturing the living creatures, the cherubim, their wings, and then above their heads was this expanse, the color of um, awe-inspiring, shining, glittering, crystal sounds blue so there's blue up there we're going to get to that um this is a huge thing there is space between the wings of the cherubim and the throne of god up above and that's why i'm talking about this like this just to help us get that into our minds as well verse 23 the wings covered the bodies and verse 24 says, the noise of the wings sounded like great waters, like the voice of the Almighty. So God's voice is referred to as sounding like the sound of many waters at other places. So the noise of the wings has this tremendous sound, like speech or the, uh, the voice, the sound of a large army uh, stomping, tramping on the move or shouting. And as I pause to think of the sound, what what have I heard that has a big sound like that? In a football stadium, when the crowd's cheering for the team and chanting back and forth. Um, and then um, the sound of a waterfall, many waters, or waves crashing. So, such a loud sound. Verse 25. A voice from the firmament over their heads. So they would hear, they could hear a voice when they stood still and let down their wings. So God didn't yell over the sound of the wings. There was a coordinated <laughs> um, maneuver here. God spoke when the cherubim were still and quiet. And Ezekiel could hear a voice coming from up over the heads. So that's me going through what I saw. And um, they may you may have added a few more. So I, it, I don't know whether you can go around a circle, you know, go around the group. I kind of don't know that it is easy for ladies to there's not a good stopping and starting, so just um, you think about it and see how you want to handle 
going over all those details. I didn't tell everybody to write the verse numbers, so that would have maybe been a good idea. Um, you know, just tell them, share a few things, and then give someone else a chance to share some more things. And one thing's going to lead to another. And you, as the leader, when you feel like they've covered a particular area, there are different sections to move through. Like, let's get to the wheels now. Let's get to the firmament. What did he hear? You know, what's next? So you might need to be leading them through that discussion and that list. So, in my talk, I'm going to talk about those things a little bit. I am going to talk about the glory of the Lord as a whole and what do different things represent. So um, just you're, you're talking about all these things. You don't have to understand what every single thing means, and that's part of the mystery of it. I'm not going to answer every mystery for sure, but I am going to be talking about the living creatures and these things that Ezekiel saw and then the glory of the Lord over their heads. So we're turning to page 16 now. Um, what do the repeated terms appearance and likeness imply to you? Why do you think they were used over and over? It was something like something. Ezekiel used words that he had. Um, he used the words that he had to try to convey what he saw. We actually do not have words that are what Ezekiel saw. We don't have the language in any language. We don't have the word in any language to describe our God. So Ezekiel saw something that we have no equivalent to on earth. Everything he saw was out of the ordinary. Everything he saw was supernatural. But God has given us language and um, enough intellect to say it's like this. He's given us some things um, and he has spoken to help us understand who he is. We looked at cross-references and were to compare Ezekiel's vision with other manifestations and visions of the Lord. You were to note the similarities, the symbolism or purpose if given, and the differences. If ladies don't mention what's similar or what the symbolism is or the purpose um, or something different, if they don't draw attention to that, which they might forget because sometimes we get in the groove and we don't remember to do that, um, then you can add that in. So in Jeremiah 23, 18 through 20, Jeremiah saw the whirlwind of the Lord. It was a violent whirlwind, and it expressed the anger of the Lord. It says that about itself in the verse there. It would fall on the heads of the wicked. So symbolism, purpose, it's all given there. This is actually similar to what Ezekiel saw. In Exodus 19, 16 through 20, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. That's a different setting. There was a sound of a trumpet. Ezekiel didn't hear a trumpet. The Israelites were meeting with God. So this is a completely different situation, except it's the same God. So there are some things that are similar, like the cloud and 
these flashes of light. And then Mount Sinai was in smoke and fire. The, um, the mountain gr- quaked greatly. Moses spoke to God and God answered him by voice. So the voice of the Lord did, um, was heard. In Psalm 18, 6 through 14, this is the setting is that God is being angry. God is angry at the enemies of Israel. The earth shook. There was smoke. There was devouring fire. So there's fire. The Lord came down from the heavens with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub. It just says one there. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He was surrounded by darkness, dark waters, thick clouds. There was brightness before him, lightning and hail. There's a lot of this that sounds like a major thunderstorm, hail, lightning, uh, torrential downpour. But it is also indicating that this is God at work. He rode upon a cherub. Wow. This is before Ezekiel wrote what, or, you know, saw the vision of the glory of the Lord. So that's just a, such a fascinating statement right there. In Isaiah, this is now later, and it's Isaiah's call, which makes it similar in that Ezekiel was called when he saw, called to be a prophet when he saw the vision of the glory of the Lord. So Isaiah is being called. He says he saw the Lord on a throne. That's similar. High. Remember, high up, high and lifted up. His, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above, the, um, above were the seraphim, so above the temple. It's like I've kind of got a question. Seraphim had six wings. So these sound like different creatures than, they are different creatures than cherubim. But what did they do? They were crying, holy, holy, holy. And um, Isaiah saw shaking and smoke, and they took a live coal from the altar at the temple. So the seraphim, is the, the idea is that he stuck his hand into the altar that the priests were offering the sacrifices on and, and burning the sacrifices at, and he took it from that particular altar and touched that to Isaiah's lip, lips. And then in Revelation, what do we see? A throne in heaven. That's similar. One sat on the throne. That's similar. He was like a jasper and sardius stone. He was like, so there's a similar word. A rainbow was around the throne like an emerald. And from the throne came lightnings, thunderings, voices. There were seven lamps of fire. There was a sea of glass like crystal. And there were four living creatures full of eyes. A lot of things sound very similar to what Ezekiel saw as the vision of the glory of the Lord. Um, So this is this is a heavenly vision. I don't. Just I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I like. What does that tell me? And I don't know. Well, we jump ahead to Ezekiel 10 to see another description by Ezekiel about the living creatures. And what else did we learn there? 
Again, leaders, why don't you start with a brief answer just to set an example. So I did this according to verses. Like in verse 2, there were coals in between the wheels. So that's just different from what happened with Isaiah when it talks about taking a, a burning, a live coal. Um, that's not where the coals are in this uh, vision of the glory of the Lord. Okay, in verse 3, it says the cherubim stood at the house of the Lord. So Ezekiel is seeing a vision of the glory of the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem. That might be helpful if you tell them that. This is Ezekiel's not at the river now. He's he's been transported in, in vision to Jerusalem, to Solomon's temple. So he's seeing the cherubim standing at the house of the Lord, and a cloud fills the inner court of the temple. Verse 4, the glory of the Lord went up away from the cherubim. So he's like moving and being separated from the, um, the cherubim that I'll say were carrying him, if I can use that. That's verse 4. Verse 5, the sound of the cherubim's wings were as loud as the voice of God. Verse 7, one cherub reached and took a coal and gave it to a man. <laughs> That's what I wrote there. Verse 12, um, the whole body and backs and hands and wings and wheels were full of eyes. Their whole bodies, backs, hands, wings, wheels, full of eyes. Like, whoa. It sounds scary to me. Verse 14, their faces are described by Ezekiel now. The first face was of a cherub. And then he says he saw the face of a man, the face of a lion, and the face of an eagle. Dr. Ryrie's study notes say perhaps Ezekiel called the ox face a cherub face because he saw it first, but it was still an ox face. He just didn't call it an ox this time. He's like, and I saw the face of a cherub. So now he's seeing the whole thing as, as the cherub. Um, so if you're confused, yes, it, it's confusing and um, again mysterious and let it be because our god and his creatures and his heavenly creatures we know when angels appeared most of the time they said don't be afraid and it's because they are awe-inspiring and shocking and what do we do with what we see wow we're going to look at a few other scriptures which mentioned cherub, which is singular, or cherubim, which is plural. And where do you find them? What are their purposes? Genesis 3, 24. God placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword. And he did it to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's Garden of Eden they're guarding. Exodus 25, 17 through 20. Two cherubim were made of gold. They were put at the ends on top of the mercy seat, their wings outstretched, and they were facing each other. In the vision of um, the glory of the Lord that Ezekiel sees, there are a lot of faces. Some of the faces are facing each other, but there are three faces that are looking out. Um, and then one face on each cherub that's looking at the other cherub, but it could also look 
pass to see the, dire the direction it's going. Um, what was the purpose? Where were these in Exodus and what was their purpose? They were at the tabernacle and then eventually at the temple, Solomon's temple. And they covered the mercy seat. So they were, again, they were covering and perhaps guarding what was inside the ark, the box. The word of God was in there. In Exodus 26, 31, there was a veil. It was woven with an artistic design of cherubim. So here we have an image of cherubim. And this is hanging in the tabernacle. Uh, that was not in the verse, not clear, but somebody in the group probably knows this, or you can add to it and, and tell them this veil was hanging in the tabernacle, and then later at Solomon's temple, there was a veil hanging like this as well. It was huge. It was in front of and protecting in the barrier before the Holy of Holies. So it guarded the Holy of Holies. At the top of page 17, I asked you to pause and reflect on the honor and obedience that these creatures, these cherubim, these holy beings give to the Lord. These, I said holy beings. They are. They have to be holy, but they're not holy like the Lord. Um, they're supernatural, heavenly beings. Heavenly beings might be a better thing to say. Uh, should the cherubim outpraise you? They stand before the Lord. They say, holy, holy, holy. But should they outpraise us? It was not a specific question you had to answer, but think about it. Let's just pause and think about it for a second. Why do we have more for which to praise God than these heavenly beings do? We have received grace. We have been made personal family members of our God. Children, daughters of our Father God. We know Jesus personally. And he, the Holy Spirit lives in us. All these things. Wow. And then the, these heavenly creatures are praising God in his presence. They, they see him. And we praise him by faith we praise him without having seen him and that is because we know how great he is and because of how he has taught us who he is moving on to the next question while the images of the whirlwind the cherubim and the wheels are fascinating they pale in comparison to who ezekiel saw above the chariot above that firmament so now list as many details as you can from Ezekiel 1, 26 through 28. Um, here we are again with the difficulty of do you ask different people to share from this or just have one person share? Maybe just have one person share. Um, unless someone says, let me just read the scripture and I don't want you to do that. <laughs> I want you to have the notes of it. So um, maybe, again, you as a leader, set the example. Say, from verse 26, we saw that above the firmament was something that looked like a throne. And it had the appearance of a sapphire stone. What else did you see? I mean, what else did the rest of you see? 
Upon it, there was a likeness of a man. What color was it? It had the color of amber. It was like fire around in it. And then Ezekiel says that from the loins or his waist upward, it looked like fire. And from the loins or waist downward, it appeared to be fire. There was brightness all around it. Um, or him. Verse 28 says, Ezekiel said it was like a bow or a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. The New King James, I think, says bow. And the ESV actually also says bow. So it doesn't say rainbow, but that's what it's talking about. And this was the appearance of brightness. It was a, something bright like a rainbow in the cloud on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So we looked at the word glory, and it's the Hebrew word kabod. Hebrew definition, properly. Properly is not the definition. It means like originally, very specifically, most literally, it means weight. And figuratively, in a good way, it means splendor, copiousness, which means a lot. And then that's from uh, Strong's. Thayer's lexicon says glory, honor, abundance. Abundance is a good thing to think on. Someone may read that um, a more theological definition of glory. And if someone happens to start with that, make sure that in our discussion of the definition of glory, that someone eventually shares that it means that originally, like the basic meaning is weight, heaviness. I'll talk about that in my talk, but it's just repetition is a good teacher. So who is this that Ezekiel saw? That's a big question. It's a hard question, and it is perhaps an unanswerable question. It's not a trick question, but it still is a hard question, and we're going to talk about this and think about this. So you were to turn to Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and notice the word glory as you recorded what you learned. It says God spoke to, he spoke through the prophets, and then now speaks through his son, and his son, we know that's Jesus. Jesus is the brightness of his glory, the brightness of God's glory. And he, Jesus is the express image of his person. Jesus is the express image of God's person. And verse 4 in Hebrews says that after Jesus purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Well, that tells you that the majesty on high is already seated on his throne. And when God says that Jesus is the brightness of his glory, I mean, I'm connecting the dots between glory there and the glory that Ezekiel saw. So um, I am not going to be dogmatic, but and I realize it's controversial, it's confusing, it's hard to grasp. And we are now talking about our God, 
who is three in one, our God, who is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and our God, there's some more details here, um, like how can someone see God, but I'm, I'm kind of beginning to lean more and more and more to the one on the throne in the vision that Ezekiel saw being God the Father. And there'll be a few more bits and pieces of that as, um, as we talk through this and in my lecture as well. Exodus 24. Okay, this is, we're going to look at verses where it says they um, saw the Lord. Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Moses and others went up on top of the mountain and they saw the God of Israel and under his feet was a paved work of sapphire stone like the heavens in their clarity. They saw God and ate and drank. And that sure does sound like what Ezekiel saw. Not the cherubim part, but what was over the cherubim. That's fascinating. In Joshua 5, 13 through 15, a man stood with a sword drawn in his hand, a commander of the army of the Lord. As the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. So that's who he says he is. He allows Joshua to worship him. And he said the same thing to Joshua that God said to Moses. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. So this one who appeared in the form of a man. I mean, Joshua thought he was a man. And this this is probably the pre-incarnate Christ. But he is God and worthy of worship. Daniel 10, 4 through 7. Behold, a man clothed in linen. His waist was girded with gold. His body was like beryl. His face was like lightning, bright light. His eyes like torches of fire. His arms and feet were like burnished bronze. And his voice was like a multitude. Uh, we think that this is a uh, um, Daniel seeing pre-incarnate Christ. And only Daniel saw that vision. Luke 9, 28 through 36. Jesus is on the mountain. Yay, it's Jesus. Oh, no. This just doesn't it make you love Jesus that he came in person and we knew him like he came. God came down in the form of man to let us know him that way. But here the appearance of his face changed. His robe was white and glistening. And what happened while they saw Jesus, a cloud overshadowed him and they heard a voice saying, this is my beloved son. Um, Jesus was not a ventriloquist. He wasn't, um, he wasn't the one speaking. So God, the father was heard. This helps us kind of get a little grasp of the three persons of the Trinity and that they do have functions and they have a relationship with each other and I'm not trying to bog you down with the Trinity but how can we not mention it when we're just handling these these passages in Revelation 1 12 through 18 I'm sorry that the space just got totally squished there I've made a note to fix it there was one like the son of man clothed with a garment to his feet 
He was girded with a gold band around his chest. His head and hair were like wool, white as snow. His eyes were like fire. His feet were like brass. He had a voice like many waters. His countenance was like shining sun. All that's like, wow. But what tells us this was really Jesus? Get to verse 17 and 18. He says, I'm the first and the last. I was dead, now I'm alive. This is Jesus. So uh, with his heavenly glory, but uh, he is forever now going to be associated with that human body that he took on, but it was transformed, glorified to, to the full glory that he, he has as God the Son. Um, so these are, these are big, overwhelming, um, passages of scripture to be thinking about. What we want to think about now is the last phrase of that. I mean, you could read the whole thing if you want. The vision of the glory of the Lord was the preparation for Ezekiel to be the servant of the Lord. In this awesome, unexplainable encounter, Ezekiel saw the Lord for who he is. Holy, supernatural, above all, and a consuming fire. And what was Ezekiel's response? So that italicized paragraph, you, you need something from there as your lead-in to the question, what was Ezekiel's response? And they're going to say, he fell on his face. You, um, <laughs> I haven't been in telling you to check your clock as you've gone through this lesson. I've been doing a lot of talking. Oh man, an hour and 15 minutes. I'm so sorry. It is the glory of the Lord. What are we going to do? Um, so if you need to skip Acts 26, 12 through 18 and what Paul saw, feel free to do that. You just can take share notes from the verse if you want to. Um, but I do want you to get to the last question. How do you respond to the vision of the glory of the Lord today? I'll just share um, that I am humbled and in awe again of the magnificence and the incomprehensibility of the supernatural living creatures. And I'm in awe of the greatness and the being of our divine one and only God. And even with these things that are revealed about him, even when he showed up and showed himself and like just like revealed and let Ezekiel see with his eyes all this, Ezekiel didn't have the words. He's still mysterious. So I am thankful, and I'm thankful that the Lord is preparing us all to be physically, spiritually with him. I'm, I'm thankful that he is going to transform us to be able to be personally near him in his presence in a, a heavenly way, and to see him through uh, clear, no longer tainted by sin eyes. So I'm thankful, and I'm excited to be studying once again uh, in this book, Our God, who He is, what He says, what He does. Thank you for your time. Talk to you next time. Um.